If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. Midi clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Um, have you ever uh, done a giveaway and never given the thing away and made someone wait an entire year? Absolutely to save $5? not. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay, so it's just, it's just me. Um, yeah, I know there's someone out there uh, waiting for a mug, and I just need to sincerely apologize. It's been a year, and... We have been trying to get a mug, acquire a mug for, well, first of all, we wanted to do a new logo and then we didn't find anyone to do a new logo for us yet. So <laughs> you're still <laughs> even looking for a year. You haven't found anyone. We, well, we've been looking for like eight months. Well, we haven't really been looking that hard, but we've wanted to do that, to do this and things keep coming up that doesn't allow us to get it done. And then I'm like, well, we'll just print the logo on the mug when we get the logo done. And it's just now the time has added up. Give me this person's address. I'll send them all spooked stuff. There you go. You just convert them into a spooked yeah, fan like, and take them away. Listen, from us. we'll take care of you. We'll take care of you for a giveaway. <laughs> Well, welcome back to Paranormal, everyone. Uh, your favorite non-investigative but still spooky, true horror stories, paranormal uh, stories. And uh, I'm your host, Nicolina. I'm Cody Crane. Here as well. Once again, Cody had to actually message me today to say, are we recording? It has now become Cody Crane's podcast. He yeah. is now the producer of, of Paranormal. The only reason you're getting a weekly episode is because of me at this point. I, I'm hounding. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, I will say last week's uh, episode slash editing that episode took a great deal out of me. Um, it was originally 
I was going to split it into two episodes and then I was advised by Google not to do that because it seemed like lazy podcasting. And then I'd be competing against myself uh, for the title. So it was like, Google told me not to do it. So I'm not, I didn't do it, even though I was very tempted because originally that episode was two and a half hours or two and a half, two hours and 15 minutes. I was able to whittle it down by like a half an hour or something, I think. I sincerely apologize. It's not your fault. I mean, I brought it off track at every turn. (laughs) I mean, I think people must be surprised to still hear from me on this podcast at this point. Like, am I here forever? What's going on? They probably are like surprised, impressed, um, thankful, grateful for for you because I genuinely don't know if. Well, if you didn't message me today, I was like, you know what? I'll just do an episode on my own and maybe drag (laughs) my boyfriend into giving me some sort of authentic reactions to the story. But he's kind of the strong, silent type, and I'm not sure he would have been the most engaging personality. Um, Love him to death, but it's not his forte. So uh, I was going to ask him to do that. So I am glad that you you agreed to once again. Come wow. On. And for the people that tuned in for uh, two episodes ago when we saw the horoscopes, this is not going to help his jealousy. No, this is not. This, yeah. yeah. This, this is, is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. Gonna, just another dagger to the heart. <laughs> yeah, I feel like another the- Cody Crane dagger to the heart. I feel like the first episode that I was on, people were like, whoa, you got the guy from Ghosts? And then they're, now they're like, mm, maybe he's pretty easy to get. <laughs> <laughs> You've basically degraded your uh, yeah. your star status because you were on this podcast way too much. <laughs> we're not even paying Cody to do this. He's just... Well, I was going to give him some money from our monetization this month, (laughs) which is like a candy wrapper and some lint. So there you go. (laughs) Please, can I buy your garbage, Mr. Convenience Store Man? (laughs) No, I'm going to buy Cody a shirt from the Sonar merch store. Or a stay spooky shirt. That's and not one of those. So he's gonna have to rep my my stuff. Not what? Sorry. Not one of them sonar shirts either. I want the stay spooky one. (laughs) Yeah, one of our shirts. Now that you're uh, part of the the crew of pretty much officially, I think you've actually at this point done more episodes than Marie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, way more. Uh, Double the amount probably. (laughs) Her son's now five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> All right, guys. So uh, let's get into it. Um, we're going to do... I, so this episode, I decided um, that um, because uh, we were talking about, I think, it being Italian at some point. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I genuinely feel like my grandfather is a vampire and he's from like Europe, East, like Southern Italy. Uh, and I feel like he has jet black hair. He has bright blue eyes. He's pale, like the like white skinned, and has fang teeth. And I'm like, 
I do believe that there's some sort of vampirian uh, like origins. There. And this is where I call bullshit because mm-hmm. no Italian doesn't like garlic. Am I right, Gabagools? Uh, except my nono, and we spoke about this. I know, my but nono it's... does not like garlic, and I'm like, of this is this, he's got to be. There's got to be something here. I mean, he's also in perfect health. He is almost 90 years old. God willing, he stays that way. But um, is it a garlic allergy or does he not like it? No, he doesn't like it. I don't think he's even Italian. <laughs> he's so Italian. No, I don't think so. His name is Francesco Rotella. He is <laughs> that's quite fake. Italian. That's fake. That's, that's, fake. Made, that's up. made up. Yeah. <laughs> Francesco Rotella, that's uh, right from the top of the Italian book. <laughs> First name you see, okay? So, no, that's made up. Anyway, so we're talking like, about this. Yeah, my grandpa's Italian too. His name is Vinny Linguini. <laughs> His name is Gabagool. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, you know what? We've never done an episode about vampires. And I mean, I will say that They've pretty well been debunked. However, there are some interesting stories and origins of of the vampire type and where they kind of emerge from and the things that they've done and all the... So I decided to do some digging. So that's what we're going to do this episode on. I've got a a meaty story to go through um, and share with Cody. But first, of course, we are going to do horoscopes. So, Cody... Do you Mm. maybe want to read my horoscope first? Yes, so I have the Leo horoscope here. Correct? Did I get that right? You got it right. How could you forget? (laughs) I remind people all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't get it wrong, so I didn't forget, but I... You didn't. I'm (laughs) self-conscious. It's very Libra of you. Yeah. Oh, did I do it? Uh, (laughs) finally today you'll know what it feels like to be in charge of things not true i led this thing today i'm the reason we got this episode going okay (laughs) you'll even feel that you were born to do it oh okay in any case you'll beautifully coordinate the day Mm -mm. hey oh You're the maestro conducting a full orchestra. You'll tell those around you what to do all day long. Isn't it fun to feel such personal power? That's interesting because I will say that today I was extraordinarily productive at work. I had to record a podcast episode, um, which was on a topic that has nothing to do with anything I do on this podcast. It's very business centric. And um, I had to prepare the questions for it. And I had two guys on the episode who know more about the industry or the topic at hand than I do. I just ask the questions. They give me the answers. They know more. Um, However, I I asked certain questions and I was being questions on the questions and I was like why do I feel like I'm being mansplained about something that I actually genuinely understand and they're just not 
maybe communicating properly to me. Anyway, we eventually got around it, and I was right uh, on a number of fronts, um, and really it boiled down to explaining things that are not necessarily um, obvious to others. And I'm like, you know, this is the basis of helping teams kind of move along is communication and being able to uh, simplify things for people that maybe aren't the experts at something. As they were mansplaining, did they turn to each other and say, isn't it fun to feel such personal power? I feel they felt that way. I do feel that way. It's been all worked out, but it gave me new insight into the um, the importance of communication in leadership. And I realized that how important that was today. And I feel like that horoscope rang true for me. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, this kind of uh, confidence that you're coming forward with right now may be the beginning of a power trip. <laughs> I I rarely power trip. I I'm not that's not a comfortable position for me. Uh do I ego trip? Perhaps, but <laughs> not power trip. Um there is a difference, I promise. I don't know. I'll see uh seven episodes of this from now if I if I'm from uh being a cool guest of just being power tripped on. <laughs> just do this, I'll do that. <laughs> Okay. I mean, I did message you before this saying, pick three vampires to fuck Mary Kill. So I was, like, was oh, kind of no. doing that. So much responsibility. <laughs> so much responsibility. Okay. All right. So that was mine. Uh, I liked it. Okay. Yours is, um, your behavior is about to improve your love life. You're no longer hung up about your body. You're no longer distracted by it during passionate moments. You'll focus on and enjoy the here and now, and you won't be won't be lost in your thoughts like usual. You're a new person about to experience the pleasure of life. I don't understand how this could be applied to all of the Lib Libra people in the world. Honestly, Libras have been getting sexy this month. I think that's the whole key. Uh, that's right. a sexy horoscope. It is, isn't it? Holy shit is right. Whoa. I'm going to be getting it on and I won't think about my body or get distracted by any of that. I'll just be thinking pure confidence, power tripping. There you go. There you go. Have a bit of my own power trip. Yeah. Like, what's his face in American Psycho? Yeah. yeah. But, but oh, don't yeah, kill anyone. People. Don't kill anyone. Yeah, thank you for... <laughs> <laughs> Me talking about that, and you're like, oh, yeah, you're like the guy from American Psycho. Oh, perfect, yeah. That was the visual I got of you feeling very confident in yourself. And <laughs> a man with confidence to you is immediately Patrick Bateman. You're like, oh, that's dangerous. Let's stay away from him. You know what? This is true. A man with confidence is dangerous, so... <laughs> Bye. I like my men completely... N not confident just insecure <laughs> in themselves and beaten down and d just ripped apart from life's drama 
I just picture you leaving this podcast and going up to your boyfriend and being like, Cody was so funny today, and then he's sad, and you're like, perfect, just Perfect, is just where I watch <laughs> Suck that confidence away. <laughs> Am I the toxic one? Oh, no. Um, well, I don't think I am. So do you feel like that rings true for you? Uh, no. <laughs> do not relate. Um... Yeah, nothing that I've, none of that. I was like, oh yeah, I've been thinking about that. Or you haven't been, you, know, you haven't been uh, posing in front of the mirror naked and like looking at your muscles. Oh, I mean, all the time. But, all the time, all the time. But I haven't been. I mean, none of that's changed. It's not different. <laughs> it's, all, it's all the time. That makes sense. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Okay, well. I won't keep uh, listeners waiting too much longer. Um, I will talk about this story of vampires, and I decided to do The Curious Case of Mercy Brown and the New England Vampire Panic. And this is supposed to be a real vampire story. Is that what we're... No. Is that the assumption here, or is this is an old tale? This is a tale, everyone who thought Mercy Brown was a vampire, and there was a number of people during, it's basically the the tale of the vampire panic in New England, and those vampires, or people who are said to be vampires, what they, uh, why they thought they were vampires, um, oh, so and this is what they real, did with then. them. Oh yeah, this is real. This is real. Okay, I, this is a real I, story. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, we always do real stories on paranormal. Uh, it's I don't know. The... You came at me saying you wanted a vampire story, a real vampire story, and I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> real well, vampire. They came from somewhere. The ideas. The. Mm-hmm. It's true, and actually, like there can be doubts about ghosts being real or fake. People can. You know, there's reasonable debate doubt. That. Yeah, people yeah, can debate is. that. People can't debate that vampires are real. There's people that live a vampire lifestyle and drink blood, and they're called insane people. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> but there's we, people that live that lifestyle. There are people who live that lifestyle, and I mean, they're not like... They give themselves that title and decide... Like, they weren't born vampires, and they're not immortal. No, but they, yeah, they, they're vampires without the magic. Yeah, they're vampires without the magic. They don't fly around like bats. They don't do those things. They just... Yeah, like uh, Billy Bob Thornton and Angelina Jolie. Yeah, a little bit like that. But yeah, no, this is like people thought this woman was a vampire. And this is, these are the reasons why. And this is the whole, whole experience that uh, this area kind of went through and the interesting part of this is that vampires kind of they originated in Europe so it was interesting that it how it transitioned from the kind of European um you know subtext to now North America how how did vampires come to North America uh and it wasn't Twilight I'm I'm ready for it I'm gonna close my eyes and listen Okay, it's a long one, so you might need to open them at some point. I might fall asleep. asleep. Yeah, so I got my information from uh, thetravel.com, and in the um, article is called "Who Was the First Real Vampire," and horrorobsessive.com, 
And the article is called Mercy Brown and the Vampires of New England. So um, New England apparently hasn't fared very well when it comes to blaming people for supernatural stuff. In the 1600s, the infamous Salem witch trials ended up with 200 people accused and 19 executed by hanging in colonial Massachusetts. 200 years later, farmers in the backwoods of New England became convinced that their neighbors were returning from the dead and public hysteria took over the area again. (laughs) How does that happen? In the same area. I just, I don't know why hysteria runs rampant through New England. Is it, I don't know. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm a Patriots fan, so this, this is problematic for me. My neighbors either just moved in or they're back from the dead. Yeah. <laughs> but those I've are never, the only two. I've never seen them before. Options. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so um, it all started innocently enough. Uh, the year was 1810 and outbreaks of a deadly disease were sweeping through New Hampshire. Locals were scared as entire families were wiped out within weeks and doctors were at a loss for what to do. The wasting illness was unforgiving, preying on the young and the old equally, turning healthy people into walking corpses with sunken eyes and ashy skin. While doctors at the time were quick to point out this was merely a physical affliction, the local townsfolk seemed unconvinced and took to the streets to solve the mysterious illness in their own way. For years to come, New England would become known as the Vampire Capital of America. New England wasn't alone in these beliefs, though. Europe was going through a similar vampire panic around the same time, with sightings of the undead across the continent. Newspapers picked up the stories quickly and played a big role in the growing panic. In September 1884, the St. Charles Herald published a front-page story on vampire attack reports, sharing details on rituals being conducted in different corners of the world to stop them. While the publication wasn't suggesting people in New England should do the same, it's very possible the idea of pushing a stake through the heart of the undead came from the news. So what really happened? During the 19th century, violent outbreaks of tuberculosis and other lung diseases were known as consumption. Medical professionals knew little about the disease or how to stop it, but they did know it spread quickly among those living under the same roof, usually with devastating results. Throughout the 19th century, tuberculosis was the most deadly disease in the world, causing about 25% of all deaths among the population. Throughout much of the century, doctors were unaware that the infection was airborne and spread mostly through coughing, so there was little to be done once somebody fell ill. Those who survived often suffered reoccurrences and either died of tuberculosis or other breathing problems later on. For panicked New England citizens who believed there was something more sinister at play, finding a way to protect the survivors became almost an obsession. The bodies of suspected vampires were exhumed and examined, looking for clues that the corpses were actually undead. The most common sign of this was a body that still looked fresh and not decomposed enough when exhumed. An even more clear proof was the heart still containing a lot of blood after death. While uh, the exhumation started as something clandestine, done by neighbors and family members, 
Many town fathers and clergymen eventually started voting on whether a certain person should be exhumed or not. So literally people in charge were saying, hey, that guy seems kind of like a vampire, so we should take a look. Um, Once a vampire was identified, there were many different ways to deal with the undead and prevent its return. In many towns, certain organs, especially the heart, were removed and burned before the body was reburied. In other places, family members would eat the ashes as a remedy for their illness, while others would inhale the smoke as the organs burned. Some towns beheaded the corpses or simply turned them face down to confuse the undead and make sure he or she wouldn't find their way out of the grave. So perhaps one of the most famous cases of vampire incidents in New England is the one of Mercy Lena Brown. Born in Exeter, Rhode Island, Mercy was one of many Brown family members who contracted consumption. Mercy was just 19 when she died in 1892, a few years after her mother and sister had also succumbed to the disease. Mercy's father, George Brown, survived. His survival, along with the panic sweeping through the region, got neighbors thinking. Perhaps a vampire in the family was to blame. Against his better judgment, George allowed the locals to exhume the bodies of his family. Mary had died very recently, it was winter, and she had been kept in an above-ground crypt, which meant the body exhibited almost no decomposition. Her heart was still full of blood that it almost seemed like it was ready to start beating again. That was all the proof the villagers needed to decide Mercy Brown was one of the undead. (laughs) By this time, Mercy's brother Edwin had also contracted consumption. So after burning her heart, the ashes were mixed with water and given to Edwin as a cure. He died two months later, but the illness died with him, and no other family members or close neighbors contracted tuberculosis. So to the locals, that meant the treatment had worked. It's it's (laughs) So many questions. It's interesting that there's so much of the mass hysteria that um, has, like, become vampire lore and really stuck there and i think that like a lot of people um blame like media today for like people running rampant about totally uh different like uh views and everything like that and like speculation uh but really i think that it was worse without media like without the news or anything like that <laughs> sure, people sure, were sure, just sure. running wild with ideas and they're like my neighbor hank said that this is a fucking vampire so we better well, of kill it of course i mean the media plays a role in everything they play a role in i'm sure uh stimulating hysteria but they also play a role in uh containing hysteria mm-hmm. too so it's it's kind of you know they play a role in both if they didn't contain hysteria if they didn't start reporting things like no don't do that that person is probably not a vampire which i'm sure they wrote about as well um then they would have just continued to perpetuate whatever ideas they had from yeah their neighbor or when we get down to it um a lot of uh kind of quack doctors i guess were kind of perpetuating this as a way to cure this rampant illness yeah, it'd be like today if you just took away all news sources, TV, media in general, and all you had to um, get <laughs> news on. from is your QAnon neighbor or something like that. Like, it'd be <laughs> exactly. freaking insane. 
<laughs> no, absolutely, for sure. Um, so Mercy's remains were reburied in Chestnut Hill Cemetery, surrounded by her family members. Um, although Mercy Brown is said to be the last case of suspected vampirism, she wasn't the first. According to a 2020 Yankee Magazine article, Vampire Mercy Brown by Charles T. Robinson, there was a lot of vampire activity specifically in South County, Rhode Island, from 1870 till 1900. That's a long, I mean, that's 30 years of vampire activity. Robinson even goes on to say that um, Bram Stoker, author of the iconic vampire novel Dracula, was aware of Mercy Brown's story and a newspaper clipping about her was found amongst his notes when he wrote Dracula. So that's Mm. interesting. I mean, it had to have come from somewhere, right? And like it happened before, it happened before he uh, wrote his book. So like that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. So in a 2012 article on the Smithsonian website, the great New England vampire panic uh, writer Abigail Tucker spoke to Sheila Reynolds Boothroyd, president of the Exeter Historical Association. Reynolds Boothroyd describes Exeter as resembling a ghost town at the time of Mercy Brown's uh, birth. Reynolds Boothroyd told Tucker that Mercy Brown called Lena by her family and her family most likely lived on a small plot of land in the eastern section of town. Um, The first death in the family was in December 1882 when her mother Mary Eliza passed. Mary Olive, the Brown's eldest daughter, died the next year. She was only 20 years old and a seamstress. A few years later, it says Brown's son, Edwin, began to feel sick. So he actually had been sick for quite some time, but he didn't die right away. He worked as a store clerk and was described as a big husky young man in the local newspaper. Edwin was sent to Colorado Springs in the hopes that the weather there would improve his health. By all accounts, Edwin's health did not improve and he soon returned to Exeter. Lena wouldn't show any signs of tuberculosis until about 10 years after the death of her mother and sister. She was a child at the time that they died. Tucker reports that Lena was most likely infected by the disease, but remained asymptomatic until shortly before her death. After Lena became ill, Edwin returned from Colorado Springs. His condition did not improve, but became worse. The local paper printed the following. If the good wishes and prayers of his many friends could be realized, friend Eddie would speedily be restored to perfect health. It was after Lena's death that her father, like I said before, was pressured by the townspeople to exhume his wife and two daughters. Uh, But according to Atlas Obscura, a story similar to that of the Brown family was reported in Jewett City, which is part of Griswold, Connecticut. In 1854, local newspapers in Griswold reported that Lemuel and Alicia Ray were exhumed and burned. The two were the sons of Henry and Lucy Ray. The two died of consumption in the late 1840s to early 1950s. The Ray's youngest son, Henry Nelson, got sick in 1854. Jewett City Cemetery still has the Ray family plot. Each member of the family is buried side by side except for one. Henry Nelson Ray is buried on the other side of the cemetery. The death date inscribed on his headstone is 1854. Um, So by the sounds of it, they thought that he was uh, a vampire and that they exhumed him and then reburied him in the hopes of ending this cycle of illness in their family you would think Um, that they would uh start trying to think of more 
options. Like, okay, we're burning a lot of hearts here. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you would think. Well, let's um, do it for another 40 years. <laughs> sure, why not? Uh, we got nothing better to do right now. It's the 1800s. They don't have internet. It's true. Uh, Tucker's article on the Smithsonian website talks about a 1990 excavation that unearthed mutilated skeletal human remains in Griswold, Connecticut. So this is where they believe that this is probably um, Henry. Um, Children accidentally stumbled across human remains while playing near a gravel mine. At first, authorities thought the bones belonged to a victim of local serial killer Michael Ross. Uh, they were wrong. Retired Connecticut state archaeologist Nick Bellatoni determined that the bones dated from colonial times. Bellantoni investigated further and unearthed a cemetery, coffins with human skeletal remains complete with clothing and jewelry. However, one grave stuck out. As he was exploring a stone crypt, he found bones that were rearranged. He was able to determine that the body had been decapitated. The skull and thigh bones were arranged on top of the ribs and vertebrae. It looked like a skull and crossbones motif. Um, I'd never seen anything like it, Bellantoni said. Tucker writes that further analysis discovered the remains were mutilated approximately five years after death. It also was determined that the coffin had been smashed. The skeleton was analyzed and found that they were the remains of a man in his 50s and dated from the 1830s. While the other skeletons that were discovered were reburied, this particular skeleton was sent to the National Museum of Health and Medicine in Washington, D.C. for further study. Uh, Bell and Tony contacted Rhode Island Historical Preservation and Heritage Commission folklorist Michael Bell about this bizarre find. Bell had been studying American vampire lore for more than 30 years. Imagine that was your life's work. Like, that's just your... I I like to think like the the sound of they thought it was just the local serial killer. Yeah, makes it no sound, big deal. Makes it sound like he wasn't arrested or anything. It was just like uh, it's probably that pesky local serial <laughs> killer again hiding all these bodies in the old gravel mine. Yeah, I f- I gotta look that one up because I feel like they said it as if it was a really like notorious serial killer but no, he's I don't know. just still kicking they just accept <laughs> he's him. still he's kicking a, he's a part of the community how could you get yeah. rid of him <laughs> that local serial killer how can you get rid of him <laughs> um so okay so bell uh had found approximately 80 cases of suspected vampirism dating back to the 18th century in various locations with the most reported in r- rural 19th century new england So, in the Yankee Magazine article, writer Charles T. Robinson mentions the name of another suspected vampire, Nellie L. Vaughn. Reportedly, no vegetation uh, can grow on Vaughn's grave. Her tombstone bears the mysterious inscription, I am waiting and watching for you. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. 
They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. According to the unexpected vampire case of Nellie Vaughn, on locations of lore, Vaughn is buried in Plain Meeting House Cemetery in West Greenwich, Rhode Island. However, it is speculated that Nellie Vaughn's story didn't originate during the 19th century, but the 20th century. Vaughn's vampire status may originate from a case of mistaken identity. Nellie Louise Vaughn died of pneumonia on March 31, 1889, at the age of 19. Vaughn's remains were originally buried on her family's farm. In October of that year, her remains were exhumed and moved to the public cemetery. There are no newspaper reports or any evidence that Vaughn's family or community suspected her of being a vampire. According to Locations of Lore, a popular explanation for the Vaughn story is that it originated during the 1960s. The tale of Nellie, the vampire, reportedly began with a group of high school students from Coventry, Rhode Island. After their teacher told them the Mercy Brown story, they went looking for Mercy Brown's grave and found Nellie Vaughn instead. Nonetheless, Vaughn's grave has entered New England's vampire lore. Her grave had to be moved after being vandalized numerous times. After her grave was moved, lore reports vegetation began to grow on the site again. And a logical explanation is that visitors are no longer walking all over it. So that's what they're saying. Do you, do you mind if, like, people uh, vandalized your grave when you're dead? Would I mind? Yeah, would you mind? I mean... I'd be dead, and if I was really upset, I would just haunt them, I guess. But if I couldn't haunt them, then I guess I wouldn't really mind. Like, I mean, people are always really upset about vandals, vandalizing. Not that I go around vandalizing graves or whatever. No, that's a weird thing to vandalize. Yeah, it's a weird thing to vandalize, but I feel like I wouldn't be upset (laughs) if someone vandalized my grave. It doesn't matter. I don't know. I don't think I'd... I mean, if they thought that it was, you know, that eye-catching of a grave, I guess that would make me feel important in some way. If I put, well, if there's a big, like, bust of me or something and someone cracks my big bust, then maybe I would be mad. Yeah, I would be mad at that, too. 
I'd be like, okay, well. If there was a statue erected of me in the middle of a cemetery and someone cracked it, I'd be pissed. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, why wouldn't you vandalize the guy with the friggin' wooden tombstone over there? Like, why do you gotta go after my big bust? Yeah, totally. But yeah, other than that, I mean, unless they wrote mean things about me or something on the grave, then. Otherwise, care? Write anything you want on mine. Mean, I don't care. I guess. I mean, it's really for the family. I think if my family was to, like, go visit my grave and it said, like, fuck her. And it was, like, underneath it, it's it was, like, she was a great mother and wife. They <laughs> might be upset about that. <laughs> uh, uh, spit on mine. Piss on no, it. Oh, spit on care. your grave now. Okay. Yeah, piss on it. I don't give a shit. Do whatever you well, want. Okay, fair enough. I mean, they're expensive. They are very expensive, so... I will say that. Don't don't even put me in one. We'll just leave you outside just, the cemetery. Yeah, just just to, <laughs> leave me out on the side of the road like a We'll just skunk. put you on a bench. You can just sit there and yeah. people can come visit you. Okay. <laughs> um, so anyway, at this grave, paranormal activity of the ghostly and not vampire kind had been reported at the cemetery. Some visitors have reportedly seen the apparition of a woman wearing Victorian-style clothes. Others have said that they heard a woman's voice near where Vaughn's grave, um, who said, I am perfectly pleasant. Locations of Lore reports that believers in the paranormal think that the voice and apparition belong to Vaughn and that she's trying to clear her name of being a vampire. This is a ghost story now. This has become a ghost story, yeah. You told me you're reading a vampire story, but this is a ghost story. I mean, it's evolved. There's a lot of layers to it. I don't know. When it ends like this, it's just about ghosts. Okay. Well, it's not (laughs) over, okay? Um, So the question remains, how did colonial-era New England become home to such a strong belief in vampires? It was Even one guy. It was one guy walking one around. I know it. It was Bram Stoker himself just walking around, giving the his child. book ideas, and it broke and go. telephoned into this. Mm-hmm. Well, it was kind of, I don't know about one guy, but maybe a few guys. So even after being given a medical diagnosis, people looked to the paranormal to explain why other family members became sick. They believed that the only solution was digging up the suspected vampire. In a 2019 history article, when New Englanders blamed vampires for de- tuberculosis deaths by Crystal Ponty, Bell and Tony said, Consumptives lost weight, coughed up blood, their skin turned ashy, and they sometimes died a slow death, almost as if something was sucking the life out of them. However, it would take about 10 years for germ theory to catch on and the case and spread of disease would be better understood. So what exactly happened with a suspected vampire? The process of going about an exhumation varied. Sometimes only family members and neighbors would be involved. Other times, town officials, like I said, would be involved. How the body of a suspected vampire was treated also differed depending on the area. Tucker points out that in Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Vermont, the deceased's heart was usually burned and the smoke was inhaled as possible cure. However, in Maine and Plymouth, Massachusetts, the body was just flipped over in the grave and left like that. So, I don't know why they had different ways of doing this. Uh, A a little bit nicer. Yeah, don't cut their heart out. Just flip them over if that's working. Yeah. 
Uh, European countries differed in the way vampires were dealt with. In some areas, the corpses had their feet found with thorns and others beheaded the undead. Just flip them over. That's all you had to do. That's all you had to do, really. Um, So burying the heart sometimes took place in the town square in locations such as Woodstock, Vermont in 1830. In 1793 in Manchester, a vampire's heart was burned at a blacksmith's forge. I'm, no one, no one is coming back to life. They're just thinking that this disease. But people they're thinking are still because they look it. like they're alive. They look like they're dead, but alive. That they are coming back to life how at night. Long? <laughs> how long? It went to the 1960s. They're still talking about this. What yes. the fuck is happening? I don't know. I know it's insane. Um. So Tucker quotes a town history that read, Timothy Mead officiated at the altar and the sacrifice to the demon vampire, who it was believed was still sucking the blood of the then living wife of Captain Burton. It was the month of February and good slaying. (laughs) Like, according to Bell, the public versus private issue varied simply because of where the cemeteries were located. Rhode Island had a large number of small cemeteries located among private farms. Vermont had fewer but larger cemeteries, all located in the center of town, making a private exhumation less possible. Bell dives deeper into the lore by looking to understand the people who believed in it. Tucker quotes Bell as saying, I start with the assumption that people of past generations were just as intelligent as we are. I look for the logic. Why would they do this? Once you label something just a superstition, you lock off all inquiry into something that could have been reasonable. Reasonable is not always rational. People find themselves in dire situations when there's no recourse through regular channels. Uh, the folk system offers an alternative, a choice. So basically what they're saying is because there were so many people dying, because they had no control over this, they were just doing whatever they could in order to uh, subdue or control this illness. And I can understand that if you're living in that time, why you might be hysterical about trying to do anything in your power to stop it. Right. That That's how I see it, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, COVID started from a bat, right? Like, so this is basically a vampire disease that we're already going through now. Totally. I'm surprised. So what, what you're saying is we should start cutting out hearts. Uh, no. I think what history is telling us is that we should not. Um, but it would not be <laughs> implausible to think that if a lot of people were dying in rapid succession, that we could also be just as hysterical and make some pretty rash decisions such as this. No, 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 I'm, uh, I'm turning around on this whole thing because tuberculosis isn't really around anymore. So uh, if we start cutting out hearts, we might lose this whole COVID business. This might oh work, and it'll only take 30 years to do it. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to put a disclaimer at the front of this episode. Guys, do not believe Cody Crane and his... And- Ideas on how to stop COVID. And no matter what the disclaimer is on this episode, we have to start doing this, everyone. (laughs) We were being ironic with the disclaimer. We have to start now. We only, we, 
we're going to lose time. We're losing time right now. It's 30 years. That's all it's going to take. 30 years of just digging up bodies, cutting out hearts. Let's go. Let's go, guys. Okay, so this is probably going to aid your argument because it says, besides tuberculosis, contemporary researchers point out diseases such as rabies and the rare genetic disorder uh, porphyria sometimes include sensitivities to sunlight and reddish-brown teeth as possibly stirring up vampire tales. During the time of the exhumations, Tucker says that Exeter residents said that the exhumations were a Native American tradition, of course. Blame the Native Americans for your Mm -hmm. shitty Mm -hmm. ways of dealing with things. Started in Europe, but okay. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, Bell told Tucker, my sense is that it came more than one time through more than one source. According to Crystal Ponty's history article, Eastern European and German healers traveling through the area may have introduced the ideas of vampirism and exhumations. Bell told Ponty about a letter to the editor of Wilmington, Connecticut uh, newspaper. The writer talked about a foreign quack doctor who was promoting exhumations and consumption of the deceased bird internal organs as a remedy for vampirism. The doctor even got a local to exhume his two children. By most accounts, Mercy Lena Brown's 1892 exhumation is the last recorded case of suspected vampirism in the United States. Lena Brown's descendants haven't forgotten their somewhat famous ancestor. All that's interesting reports that Lena's descendants have saved newspaper articles. They've even shown up to talk about the event during the town's decoration day when residents decorate the local cemeteries. Tucker met some of Lena's descendants who managed to preserve a quilt that she made. Brown's descendant Dorothy O'Neill told Tucker, I think the quilt is exquisite, especially in light of what she went through in her life. She ended up leaving something beautiful. She didn't know she'd have to leave it, but she did. Tucker mentions one final detail about the well-preserved quilt. The pattern Lena used is called the wandering foot, which has a superstition surrounding it. Tucker writes, anybody who slept under it, the legend said, would be lost to her family, doomed to wander. In Exeter, Mercy Lena Brown left behind more than a quilt. Those fascinated by her have built up their own lore around her. Lena's spirit is said to visit those who are terminally ill to assure them that death isn't anything to fear. Her spirit, announced by a rose scent, is said to be seen on a particular bridge. Some visitors at the cemetery say they have recordings of her voice. Besides documentaries, Mercy has been mentioned in children's books. To this day, visitors still leave little gifts and notes at Mercy Brown's grave, including jewelry, plastic vampire fangs, and a note that said, You go, girl. Modern science put an end to the New England vampires, but their story continues to fascinate. And that is the story of um, Mercy Brown and the New England vampires. Seems like a good children's book, whatever it is. (laughs) Yeah. You were right. You were right at the uh, start of this. That is a long story. It was a long story. It was, uh, I think, like a 25 minute story. So, yeah, yeah. And I'm the one that's bragged about being a reader. So, good on you. Thanks. It was, uh, yeah, it was a mouthful. Uh, I needed some breaks in that one. So I should have taken an actually official break because we do technically need commercial breaks, but whatever. Guys, sorry. There's going to be a commercial break. Somewhere in there. About 20 minutes ago, there was a commercial break. Yeah. 
cutting off the story, cutting off middle of the sentence. Who cares? Uh, deal with um, it. We need to make money. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So given that, obviously, we are going to do some fuck Mary kills around vampires. Yes. Uh, and I've got my list. And yeah, I, mine I is uh, Mercy Brown, uh, Lena, and <laughs> <laughs> the doctor. <laughs> um okay do you want me to go first or do you want to go first uh yeah you started uh or i started with the horoscope so you go first this time okay so i've got Catherine pierce who is nina dobrov in vampire diaries okay then i've got and i don't know how to pronounce this but i needed to have it in here um santanico pandemonium in the movie From Dust Till Dawn. I it, just recently that, watched it. Is that Selma this Hayek? Is, it is, yes. Okay. Yeah. And I've got, okay, I'm debating between two. I'm going to go just because it's a low-hanging fruit. Bella Swan in Twilight. Okay. 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 A little Kristen Stewart uh, A little Kristen Stewart action here. Yeah. Uh, so we got I, those three. I met one of the people. Who, Uh, Nina? Yeah, Toronto. Yeah, you know her real name's Nicolina, right? Really? Yep, with a K. I I have mutual friends with her, but I met her when I worked at Starbucks. Uh, Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah, um, one of my kind of acquaintances, I know her, went to like all through elementary and high school with her, and she's visited her. She's met, she met, Ian, when she was dating him, um, visited her in L.A. for her, I think, 30th or something like that. So, yeah. <laughs> well, this story isn't flattering for her. Um, I, <laughs> when she came into Starbucks, this was probably six years ago, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, eh, probably like, yeah, probably like five or six years ago so she wasn't as big as she is now like she's been blowing up more and more right yeah well she was just in the new netflix show love hard right Mm-hmm. so movie um she came into starbucks and she i was working the counter there and i was like um uh can i get your name right mm-hmm. and then she went really oh no and i was like yeah, I just need everyone's name for the cup. And then she was like, it's Nina Dobrev? Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> All right. You want me to write full name on there? Oh, my Maybe. God. No. <laughs> Made me feel like an asshole or something for asking. But did you not recognize her? Or are you just like, I need your name. I don't know if you want me to say or write your name. Like, this no. is just my job. No, I didn't. I didn't recognize her i didn't know you didn't was. recognize her oh no, okay i uh i didn't know who she was well i There's think six years ago she was like in vampire Diaries. so for those people she would have been pretty well known yeah i guess so like for for those people i never watched the show i think that's the one uh is ian summerhalder in that yeah she was dating him at the time as well really in real life i've met yeah. him um, yeah, so they were dating, and that's who my friend, they went to her birthday, and she was with Ian, and she said he was lovely. 
I heard about her a lot more after from like mutual friends and stuff. We were going to parties with like that, her and Vin Diesel and stuff and whatever. Oh, Vinny. Know. Yeah, Vinny D. Vinny D. Um, so uh, let's let's kill Nina Dobrev. Uh, okay, okay, that's fair. Okay. No, I don't want to cut out her heart. Okay, I don't want this to be on record. That's fair. Okay. No cutting it's, out her heart. Just it, just decapitating her. Yeah, I feel bad like uh saying like putting her on the kill since like I just told a story where she was like kind of like unkind and kind of like whatever. But like it's a game, okay? <laughs> you know what? I feel like that was just a gut reaction. I feel for her at the time she was probably just like are you really going to make me say my name to you and probably felt like she had been recognizable enough that you were just being a dickhead um by asking maybe i i feel like that was what she probably thought you were just like what's your name uh but really you were like genuinely i don't know who no just say your first name then right right like don't give a full name then totally 100 percent. giving full name you're like fucking google me Yes, no, you're completely right about that. Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. I was one time in line with Jesse J in New York City at a Starbucks, and she was very incognito. And I don't even think, I feel like they just, they put her name, like Jess or something on it. And that was it. Right. Anyway, oh, yeah. Like, I've, uh, like, over the years, <laughs> so I actually, the exact same day, they might have been doing a movie together, but Elliot Page came in that exact same day. There you go. And was totally nice. And I didn't and have to gave, ask. Gave you full name or gave you first name? Um. Oh, I knew that one. I knew oh, that Oh, you one. knew that one. Okay, yeah, okay, I okay. okay. <laughs> I didn't have to ask. Take that. Okay, fair enough. I guess I felt insulted by Nina and she felt insulted by me. Yeah, I think you mutually felt insulted by one another. But one person was acting with more arrogance, I think. Totally. One, you were a Starbucks barista, so you are naturally less arrogant just by default. Yeah, I, uh, I was already kicked down into the ground. Yes, yes. Okay, so we're killing her. We're killing Catherine Pierce. We've got now... Selma Hayek and Kristen mm-hmm. Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Selma Hayek... I, I feel like I would get along with Kristen Stewart. I feel like we could get along. Okay. Yeah. So marry her. Yeah. Am I marrying the character, Bella Swan? <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Okay. But Salma Hayek is like a deadly vampire in that movie. Like, she's She's killing. very deadly. She's yeah. very deadly, yeah. I don't... I mean, I probably should kill her, but uh, it's not as bad as being treated like an asshole, so... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't know the character that Nina Dobrev... Uh, played really so I guess you're just basing it off her real personality so we can just go with whether or not you would marry Selma Hayek or Bella or yeah. Kristen Stewart yeah I would marry I would marry Kristen Stewart she seems like a person okay we're around the same age too yeah that's so true. I feel like you get along you know okay. whatever and then you would sleep with Selma Hayek yeah and I don't know it's, I'd sleep it's, with Selma Hayek in that movie she's hot yeah I don't know. Is Kristen Stewart straight? I think she's bi, or is she a lesbian? I mean, that's that's fine. I mean, if 
if if she's bi, it's fine. If she's a lesbian, that's fine. I'm asexual. We just both won't be attracted to each other, and we'll just live a good go. life. Yeah, you don't need to have sex in marriage. Yeah, we'll just like, you know, like oh, yeah, let's play uh, cards. There you go. <laughs> play some backgammon. Solitary. So my other my other option here was um, Evan Rachel Wood in True Blood. Uh, she plays a, a vampire named Sophie Ann. Oh, she's uh, she dated Johnny Depp, right? Is that Evan the Rachel one? Wood? Is that the no. one? No, no, that's a different one. Oh, is uh, she Marilyn Manson? She, she Marilyn Manson, yes. Oh, she yeah, I feel Manson. bad for her then. Um, yeah, I wouldn't kill her. She's been through enough. Yeah, she's been through. Yeah, it's a miracle so, she's still alive. Yeah, so after dating I, Marilyn. I'd marry her. I'd be really nice. To okay, her. you'd marry her too. Okay. Yeah, but I don't that's want. Cool. I, she's been through enough. <laughs> <laughs> I love your empathy towards yeah, I people who've dated Marilyn Manson. Yeah. Jesus, you've been through enough. Uh, okay. Um, I have uh, three here for you. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. Okay. So, Nicolas Cage. Okay. When did he play a vampire? Um, Vampire's Kiss. Okay. Okay. Cool. Willem Dafoe. <laughs> okay. And uh Bella Lugosi. <laughs> Who? The original uh Dracula. <laughs> okay. And okay. keep in mind that he's already dead. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I'm going to kill Bella Lugosi just because he's already dead and I'm not harming anyone given that choice. Um <laughs> even though I am tempted to kill Willem Dafoe because I don't want to marry or have sex with Willem Dafoe. <laughs> you gotta. You gotta. I'm gonna choose marriage with Willem Dafoe. I feel like I can avoid him potentially. <laughs> Just seeing him every day? Yeah, like I could live in a, like, I don't know. I could live in a bunkie or something and on his property. <laughs> not have to hang out with him and then I guess I'll have sex with Nicolas Cage even though there is nothing sexy about that man to me think about it again though no he's got his tongue out Willem Dafoe has his tongue out in this photo you know what you know what okay Ugh. <laughs> maybe okay I'm gonna marry Bella Lugosi I'm okay. going to kill Willem Dafoe, and I'm still going to have sex with Nick Cage. Oh, no, I tried to make you uh, like Willem Dafoe more, but... He, no, he that did him. the opposite. That had the opposite effect for me. Bella Lugosi, I mean, we don't know a lot about him. No, we so. don't know. I was hoping you would drop me like a Tom Cruise or something, um, but no, you didn't go there. You would marry Tom Cruise. Uh, no, you wouldn't marry him. You no, wouldn't marry I wouldn't. Him. You got a little bit wacky with Katie Holmes, so I would probably you wouldn't sleep kill with him. him. Yeah, you'd sleep no, with No, I'd him, sleep though. with Tom Cruise. Yeah, you'd have um, to sleep with Tom Cruise. Yeah. It'd make it too easy. You're going to kill Willem Dafoe. You're going to marry Nicolas Cage. Imagine. Yes. Yeah. Like so it. you made it a little bit harder. So we're going to have to marry Bella Lugosi. Also because I feel like we'd have a lot of family values if, um, of, the if, same, of the same nature. If he's we, clearly Italian. Uh, Bella Lugosi? It says he's Hungarian. I he's was, Hungarian. Sorry, he's Hungarian. I, I was, was looking for the same thing. 
Uh, Nicholas Cage is uh, Italian, though. He is. He mm-hmm. is. So there you I go. I still wouldn't. I probably still wouldn't marry him, though. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I would. Now you've got me questioning everything. <laughs> you know what? Uh, Bella Lugosi is a Libra. So based on that fact alone, I'll marry him. Whoa. Based off his connection to me? Well, Leos and Libras are very well, they get along very well, Uh-oh. so I can only assume we'd live a peaceful life. There's going to be some jealousy after this. Oh my god, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so who who are your, your, who would you fuck Mary kill of the three? Um, Nicolas Cage I've actually met too. Um, oh. Nice. It's exhausting. Exhaustingly nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bella Lugosi, I would marry. Let's uh, take a gamble on that one. Um, okay. And then, uh, oh, Defoe. Who knows what kind of stuff Nicolas Cage is going to be into? Oh yeah. But yeah. also, I just don't want to imagine myself getting like missionaried by Willem Defoe. <laughs> That's horrifying. <laughs> you would end up killing him anyway if in that moment because you'd no, be I so wouldn't. horrified. That's not how that's not how I react to things. <laughs> Don't murder people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I don't know. It may feel less like consensual and you might have to murder him. I might cut my own heart out for science. <laughs> this this whole fuck Mary kill is so problematic. I can't. I can't. Oh, it's, we're being canceled for sure. It's not making air. No. Just admit it to me. <laughs> There's gonna be a lot of cuts, a lot of awkward cuts. So <laughs> just be prepared. Um. Okay. So. You still haven't clarified who you would want to. Oh, well, I'm going to gamble or... on Bella Lugosi, I guess. You're going to marry Bella Lugosi. You're going to sleep with Nick Cage. So you're going with my three, my options, and kill. No, Willem maybe Dafoe. I'd sleep with Bella Lugosi. Oh, you're going to sleep with Bella Lugosi. Okay. Yeah. I think it's... you just like saying Bella Lugosi. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll sleep with and marry Bella Lugosi. No, you're to sleep with Anne Mary. <laughs> That's not the game. <laughs> Bella Lugosi, he had some charm here in this one, I think. So maybe I'll <laughs> I'll marry Nicholas Cage, I'll sleep with Bella Lugosi and I'll kill Oh my god. So okay, so Willem we're Defoe. still killing Willem Dafoe. That's really where I wanted to get at. I don't <laughs> I don't want to do it, but I gotta. <laughs> yeah, you gotta. <laughs> so goodbye, Willem Dafoe, and goodbye, Nina Dobrev. That's your two kill kills for the. Were you killing Nina Dobrev too? No, I was killing. Um, oh, I didn't even decide. I don't think. No, I was. You just I said didn't. that Selma. You just said Selma Hayek's sexy. I, I was, was like, gonna sleep with Selma Hayek. Okay. That's uh, she. That's all I knew for sure. Um, and then I would marry Nina Dobrov and uh, even after what kill. she did to me. I uh, 
I don't feel that strongly about it. You don't it deserve Bella Lugosi or me. Listen, you don't deserve I share the same name as Nina, so I feel like I have. That's I have even to more like awkward. <laughs> you two are both to uh, marry the same. Yeah, yeah. You two are both self-obsessed. Whatever. Taylor Lautner just got engaged to a Taylor, so. Yeah, that's good. Because everyone has a lot of respect for him, Shark Boy. <laughs> that's gonna convince everyone. Shark Boy married a friggin' person with the same name as him. We have rare names though, so I feel like it would be very unique to have a couple that is both named Nicolina. Anyway, uh, I would probably kill Kristen Stewart just because I could not handle the acting in in Twilight. I just couldn't. <laughs> One performance and she's dead. To me, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, Kristen. I chose you to marry. Oh, well, that showbiz, baby. So um, I just want everyone to stay spooky. And um, thank you, Cody, once again, for reminding me that I have a podcast to record. And hopefully... <laughs> <laughs> you won't have to remind me again. And now I'm just going to hunt you down every time. <laughs> and not well, kill you. Well, thank you for having me. And not killing Always. me today. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar! As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.